The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Um, yeah, so it's um, yeah, really exciting. We've been going through a Stories of Jesus series, from what I understand, and I'm going to be looking at a story about Jesus just in the days and nights before his death. And so as we look at this, I'd encourage you to keep your Bibles open, um, and we're going to be looking at this text um, in depth. And um, yeah, we, um, how about we pray now as we open up God's word and ask for his spirit to give us insight as we come to hear from him this morning. Father, we do pray that you would speak as you love to do through your word. You have spoken to us through your son, Jesus, his life, his death, his triumphant resurrection and ascension. And you have spoken to us through your word, the scriptures. So, Father, as we look at your word this morning, we ask that you would speak to us. Would you challenge us, convict us, um, point out sin in our lives that we need to confess, we pray. And, Father, as we we look to your word, would you um, soften our hearts and do that work that you love to do, where you transform us more and more into the image of your Son. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The evening has dawned and another day draws to a close over the city of Jerusalem. The city is swarming with hundreds and thousands of pilgrims who have come from far and wide to celebrate the annual feast of the Passover. The city normally has a population of around 120,000, but during the Passover, the city's population swells into the millions as people from all over the known world come to commemorate the Passover. The city is a hive of activity. Herbs and spices are bought and purchased and prepared. Lambs are purchased and slaughtered in the temple, and their blood is sprinkled over the altar. The city is flooded with religious activity as people are galvanized around this monumentous event that the people of Israel celebrated, the Passover event. It was a week-long celebration. It was the moment when the Jewish people put pause on all of their normal activities in life, and then they would all gather and celebrate this one feast. But the event that they are celebrating is dark and dramatic, if we think about it. It's the dark and dramatic moment when they remembered what happened when the angel of the Lord passed over the nation of Egypt, judging Pharaoh for his refusal to free God's people from Egyptian slavery and bondage. It's a dark and dramatic event that commemorates God's justice. But it's an event that doesn't just celebrate God's justice. It also recalls his salvation that he won for his people at this Passover. See, the Passover was designed by God to protect and deliver his people. And this is the backdrop of these final two days of Jesus' life. And this morning, we are going to see Matthew, who wrote this account. We're going to see him paint three vivid images as he tells this story of a woman's generosity, a friend's betrayal, and a final meal that Jesus shares with his closest followers before he is killed. And Matthew connects these three vivid images 
and he contrasts these images between those who accept Jesus and those who reject Jesus. So begin by looking with me at verse 6. Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment. And she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. These opening verses reveal a dramatic encounter. For us reading it these days, it probably seems a bit weird, but what's going on here is astonishing. Jesus is sharing a meal at the house of Simon the leper, we are told. We don't know exactly who Simon is, but he has obviously previously suffered from a skin disease. And in Jewish culture, to suffer from leprosy or have a skin disease of any kind meant that you were socially excluded. You were kept out from sharing family meals because you were considered to be ritually unclean. The fact that we see Jesus not only entering into Simon's house, but actually sharing a meal with him, suggests that Simon has probably been healed And it's quite possible that Simon has been healed by Jesus himself. And he continues to go by the the, the title, if you like, or the, the known name of Simon the leper to identify him. But what this shows us is that Jesus associates himself with the outcast. He associates himself with the lowly, those who are rejected by society. And see this contrast in verse 3 with the religious leaders who are plotting Jesus' downfall in where? The palace of Caiaphas, the high priest. Do you see the contrast? Jesus is gathering with the lowly and the outcast, and yet the high priests are plotting Jesus' death in the palace of Caiaphas. Jesus is sharing a meal with those who are humble and kind of come from common circumstances, even those who are considered outcasts by the world. But the chief priests seek to take Jesus down from a place of what they consider to be high status. But this isn't the most striking part of this encounter. You see, the most striking part of this encounter is the extravagant display of devotion that this unnamed woman exemplifies. Matthew's description of this event is very brief. There's not a lot to it. He tells us nothing about who this woman is, where she comes from. All he focuses his attention on is what she does for Jesus. And what she does is pours a very expensive ointment on Jesus' head. Just imagine the scene for a moment. This unnamed woman walks into the room at immense risk to her own reputation opening herself up to potential criticism, mockery and shame, and she just walks in and anoints Jesus' head with an abundance of generous perfume. The fragrance would have filled the entire room as Jesus' body is covered from head to toe with this very expensive ointment. It's a dramatic scene. It displays lavish devotion in the middle of a family dinner. In the same account in Mark's Gospel, um, he uses the language that describes this ointment, this alabaster flask, being the equivalent of a year's worth of wages. 
Just think about that for a minute. The median wage, I don't know exactly what it would be, in it, but around 60 grand would be the median wage of what we would earn these days. $60,000. And wrap your head around this for a moment and see if this doesn't challenge how we think about Jesus for a moment. This woman has poured the equivalent of a reasonable house deposit all over Jesus and it's gone. It's all gone. It's an extravagant display of devotion, a costly display of worship. And if we're not careful, we might find ourselves thinking, did she really think this through before she did it? What is she thinking? I mean, I'm tempted to think that when I read this for the first time. And if you're tempted to think like I am, we're actually not alone. Because we actually see the disciples respond in the exact same way. Look with me from verse 8. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant. They were indignant. Saying, why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. It's extravagant devotion, perhaps over the top. Maybe, maybe some might say it's an unwise use of resources. Why this waste? The value of this flask could have been used for so many good things. It could have been given to the poor, donated to charity, used for benevolent purposes in our world. What is she doing? If you find yourself feeling that tension, you're not alone. The disciples felt it, and I shall feel it, and I suspect you do as well. But notice what Jesus says in response in verse 10. Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done, for me, done will also be told in memory of her. This woman was rebuked by Jesus' closest followers for pouring on him what was perhaps the most lavish gift he had ever received. Jesus not only defends her actions, but he says that she has done a beautiful thing. They're not wasteful. In fact, her extravagant display of devotion is completely and utterly appropriate because it prepared Jesus' body for burial. It was preparing Jesus for the most climactic event in human history, the death of Jesus Christ. Now, we need to be careful that we don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying here. He is not saying that we shouldn't care for the poor. There are many Old Testament commands and expectations where God's people are called to care for the sojourner and for those who are weak and in need. There are dozens of times in Jesus' ministry and elsewhere in the New Testament where followers of Jesus are urged to take care of the poor and the sick and the broken. 
In fact, Jesus' closing remarks at the end of chapter 5 and the chapter previous to this, he highlights that those who are righteous and enter God's kingdom will feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, welcome the stranger, clothe the naked, visit the sick, and come to the aid of those who are in prison. And he concludes with this in verse 40, As you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it for me. Jesus is not making a blanket statement that the poor will always be among us so we don't need to care about them, not at all. What Jesus is saying is consistent with everything else he has said in Matthew's Gospel so far. And just like the first and second great commandments, the first is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength, and the second is to love our neighbour as ourselves. In fact, I would argue we can only genuinely love our neighbour from the heart when we love God first and foremost. It's only when God is our supreme love that we will be able to love our neighbour as ourselves. And this is exactly what this woman has done. Her extravagant display of generosity shows to the world that Jesus is of supreme importance. Jesus is of supreme value. And his, his forthcoming death is, the, is of supreme significance for everyone. So just think about the drama of this event and let it sink in for a moment. The disciples have been with Jesus for the last three or so years. They've seen him heal the sick. They've seen him cast out demons. They've seen him proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. They have seen him calm the storm, feed the 5,000, And with all of this, we don't have a single account of them giving Jesus anything. Jesus receives gold, frankincense and myrrh at his birth. And here, these are the two examples that we have of Jesus being given gifts as his life draws to a close. And this unnamed woman gives what is probably her most precious possession. This alabaster flask was probably the gift that she was to give the person that she was betrothed to at some point. Her most precious possession. But she stopped at nothing. When she saw Jesus, she's like, he's worth it. He is of supreme value. And I will pour this ointment over him. What she is saying when she does this, she is saying that there is nothing in this world that even comes close to the immeasurable worth of Jesus. And yet his closest disciples seemed to forget this very fact. I would plead with you this morning, do not let familiarity with Jesus lull you into thinking that he's just another thing to have on your list of commitments in life. He's not just something you add to your life and just kind of slot in there. No, no, no. Jesus demands that he be the utmost top priority in your life. But the reason he expects that of us is because of what we'll see later in the gospel where he actually gives everything of himself for us. It is therefore our joy and our privilege to value him above everything else in this world, and this is what this woman understands. She gets it. She understands it.
She sees the supreme value of Jesus. So how are we going with valuing Jesus this morning? When we reflect on our life, does it communicate to yourself and to the world around you the supreme value of Jesus? When you think about your goals and dreams in life, are they motivated by the supreme value of Jesus and his death? Or is it something else? Maybe your career. Maybe your work. Maybe your status. Maybe your wealth. What does your life and your goals and your pursuits in life declare to the world? What about the way that you spend your money? Does your budget and your bank statement communicate the supreme value of Jesus and the supreme significance of his death? Or does it communicate something else? What are the things in your life that you most value, that you most aspire to, that you long for the most? Is it Jesus or is it something or someone else? If when we reflect on this extravagant act of devotion, we find ourselves responding like the disciples, then we probably need to have our hearts reoriented to the incalculable worth and value of Jesus. And if we find ourselves treasuring anything above Jesus, then we need to repent and confess this to Jesus and ask him to reawaken our love and our affection for him. There is a reason why Jesus declares in verse 13 that wherever this gospel of the kingdom is proclaimed to the whole world, that what she has done will be told in memory of her. Of all of the astonishing things that Jesus did in his ministry, of all of the remarkable displays of his power, this kind of side story gets a mention. This humble woman who doesn't even get named is remembered because she did this beautiful thing for Jesus. Her story is remembered. What she did is remembered. It's a remarkable thought that we are actually recipients of this gospel message and this morning we are reading this story about this woman and what she did for Jesus. Earlier in Matthew's Gospel, we have lots of these little parables where they have this this man who sold everything to acquire a treasure in the field. She is the real-life example of this parable. Think about the merchant who sold um, everything to get the pearl of great price. We know that Jesus is that treasure. But again, this woman is the real-life example of what those parables told. Jesus is that treasure. Jesus is that pearl And this woman's sacrificial, costly, extravagant display of devotion and generosity proclaims and declares to the whole world how wonderful and valuable Jesus is. And this is the first picture that Matthew paints for us. This extravagant devotion which declares to the world the supreme value of Jesus. Uh, About 22 years ago, I don't know if some of you might or might not remember this, but there was a show that I was hooked onto called The Mole. It was a reality TV competition where contestants would work together as a group to build up money in a kitty. They would do various activities and things that they had to do, and they'd have to win these little contests. 
And so as they kind of built up the kitty at the end of the show, whoever was left would get the pot, the pot that was there. But in this show, there was a twist because there was a mole inserted in this group of people whose ultimate job was to sabotage and destroy all of their efforts as they tried to build up this kitty. The mole had to be sly and stealthy and avoid getting caught because if they got ousted out of the show, the show would kind of lose its purpose for the rest of the season. It was kind of a light-hearted reality TV show, but it had a deceptive insider. And this is what we see in the next section of this story. But it's not light-hearted at all. It is the infamous and horrific details of Judas's betrayal of Jesus. In verses 3 to 5, we see that the religious leaders are plotting Jesus' downfall. And this was originally planned to happen after the Passover, as we see in verse 5, so that no uproars happen in the city. But this plot is suddenly brought forward because of the actions of Judas. Earlier in Matthew's Gospel, back in chapter 10, we do hear that Judas would be the one who would betray Jesus. But we only get a look into the grim details of this event now. Look with me from verse 14. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot went to the chief priests and he said, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. Notice the contrast here between Judas and the woman. The woman who generously ascribed value and worth onto Jesus Judas sought to gain financially by betraying his master and his friends. Do you see it? Judas is selfish and the woman is selfless. Judah is greedy, the woman is generous. Judas betrays and the woman shows unwavering commitment. The text tells us that Judas received 30 pieces of silver, which is the equivalent of four months of wages. Now, that, that's, that's a fair bit of money, don't get me wrong, but it pales into insignificance compared to the generosity and the gift that the woman gave to Jesus. For a third of the value that the woman parted with, Judas betrayed his master to gain what you would consider a substantial amount of money, but in the big picture, it's infinitely worthless. Infinitely worthless. This gain drove Jesus away from Jesus. It drove him to conspire against Jesus. And it drove him to get his enemies against Jesus and to actually acquire him. In doing this, Judas orchestrated the single most grievous sin in human history, the murder of Jesus of Nazareth, God's own son. This is a weighty reminder for all of us of just how dangerous the sin of greed can be. Do not be deceived. The accumulation of wealth can be an incredibly dangerous pursuit for all of us. But the real dangerous part of all of 
the accumulation of wealth is that it has that temptation to pull us away from Jesus. It, has the, it causes us to be tempted to compete. It's an affection that competes with our affection for Jesus. So don't miss what I'm saying here. Wealth isn't evil. Money isn't evil. Possessions aren't evil. There's nothing inherently wrong with them. But when wealth and money and the accumulation of possessions starts to compete and take over from our affection and love for Jesus, well, we are on the way of not just denying Christ, but rejecting him and conspiring against him. Life Centre Church, I plead with you to look at the testimony of this unnamed woman and the danger of what Jesus has done here and learn from it. Look at her act of worship. Look at Judas's rejection of Jesus. But look ultimately at what she gained from giving that gift. She gained Jesus and Judas lost him. He lost everything. Wealth can be so captivating for us and it was so captivating for Judas that it actually blinded him to see Jesus for who he truly was. The unnamed woman saw Jesus for who he was and gave him everything, the best thing that she had. Judas lived and served alongside Jesus for at least three years and he turned his back on Jesus. The tragedy of this story and the challenge for all of us is that none of us are immune from being captivated by this sin of greed. Sure, Judas is unique in human history because he is the one that actually betrayed Jesus. But, we are, but sure, we are all capable of loving money more than God, loving gifts more than the giver, Loving the creation more than the creator, as Paul talks about in Romans. And loving ourselves more than our saviour. The consequence of Judas's betrayal is dramatic. On the night before Jesus' crucifixion, another meal is shared. And at this meal, Jesus declares that one of the twelve will betray him. And after this shocking revelation, the disciples are filled with sorrow and begin to ask Jesus in verse 22, Is it I, Lord? And Jesus answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, and I presume this is in a private one-to-one conversation with Jesus outside somewhere, is it I, Rabbi? And Jesus said to him, you have said so. Notice carefully in verse 22 that the 11 refers to Jesus as Lord, but here Judas in 25 refers to Jesus as Rabbi, teacher, a term that's less kind of um, endearing or less um, wanting to make much of him. He's trying to cut Jesus down. It's the common title that religious opponents used of Jesus all throughout Matthew's Gospel. And by saying this, we see that Judas has cast his lot against Jesus and has sided with those who are seeking to destroy Jesus. 
It is indeed a tragic story of greed and betrayal which ends in the unjust murder of the Son of God. In the first image, Matthew paints this incredible um, glimpse of devotion and worship and value that Jesus has through this unnamed woman. In this second image that Matthew paints, it's a stark contrast, highlighting the greed and deception and betrayal that infiltrated Judas's heart and led him to reject his Saviour and Lord. And now we'll look at the third and final image that Matthew paints as he presents Jesus as the one who fulfills the Passover. In the book of Exodus, you might remember the angel of the Lord passed over Egypt. God instructed his people to slaughter a perfect lamb without blemish and to spread its blood over the doorposts of the houses. This was to symbolize the fact that a perfect lamb had to die in place of the first son. The firstborn son in those houses that had that blood sprinkled over the doorposts would not be killed. But if not, if that blood wasn't on the doorposts, the firstborn son would be killed. And this feast, as we reflected before, is a celebration because it represents the fact that God spared his people. He gave them a way out from the judgment that he was going to unleash on Egypt. But it's also the moment that represents when God triumphed over Pharaoh and freed his people. Do you see how it's a picture of both judgment and salvation at the same time? This salvation was freely given by God, but it came at a cost, a costly price. It was a salvation that cost a perfect lamb without blemish. And this commemorative feast that they were all celebrating at this time is what they were remembering. And Jesus, I believe, chose this time, chose this particular time to have another feast to prepare this Passover meal but it would be like it had never been celebrated before you see in this Passover celebration Jesus reinterprets the meaning of the bread and the wine and what they represent in light of what he was about to do for them I see that Jesus took bread and after blessing it he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said take eat this is my body. Verse 27, And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. You see, there are a number of modifications that Jesus makes to this Passover feast. First, Jesus identifies himself with the symbols. The bread represents his body. The wine represents his blood. The point being that Jesus is the fulfillment of what the Passover feast pointed to. Jesus, if you like, is the sacrificial lamb who stands in the place of the firstborn son. But more than that, he now provides forgiveness for all. Second, Jesus' blood doesn't merely protect a family or a household. 
Verse 28 says that Jesus' blood is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus' sacrifice is far superior because it is made available to many rather than just one household. And all of this came at a supreme cost because Jesus paid the ultimate price by giving his life so that the world might be saved from the power of sin and death. It was costly and it cost Jesus his life. And this is what we celebrate when we celebrate and commemorate the Lord's Supper. What started out as the Passover feast has now been fulfilled in Jesus. And now when we celebrate it, which we will do shortly, we will remember the costly, the lavish and generous price that Jesus paid for us. And it's our privilege to worship him and be devoted and committed to him wholeheartedly. Friends, when we share the Lord's Supper, we are proclaiming to the world and to one another that Jesus is far superior to anything else in our world. Anything else that our world has to offer. When we share in this supper, we are saying to the world, Jesus is everything to me. Jesus is better than money. He's better than possessions. He's better than any pleasure that this world has to offer. When we share in the Lord's Supper, we receive Jesus as our ultimate pleasure, as our ultimate treasure. And we say to the world that he is of supreme value. So we have these three images. An image of a woman who generously and lavishly worshipped Jesus. A man who denied Jesus, betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver and rejected him. And this third image is the reason why the woman was devoted to Jesus. Because she saw that Jesus was going to give up everything so that the world could be um, offered the opportunity of forgiveness. Perhaps you're here for the first time at a church and you've never considered Jesus for yourself. Maybe this morning might be the time to ask some questions and go, why do these people love Jesus so much? Why is Jesus seemingly so valuable? I need to ask some questions about that. I'd encourage you, go and ask someone. Talk to someone maybe you've come with. Find out about how truly valuable Jesus is. Perhaps you're here this morning and you've wandered away and lost sight of who Jesus truly is. This morning would be a great opportunity, a great moment for you to turn your gaze back to Jesus, to reset him and realign your heart, recognizing that he is the one of ultimate value. Jesus is the one who gave his life for you. So I'd encourage you to turn your gaze back onto him. I would urge all of you this morning, consider the testimony of this this woman. Consider the folly of Judas. And I'd plead with you to see the riches that are found in trusting in Jesus, because he will never, ever disappoint you. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church, located on the Sunshine Coast. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare 
and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others, but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC. 